Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Good and Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at gunnageeknetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's episode, Black Widow stings hard at the box office. We take a walk down Fear Street and is Atari making a comeback? All this and more as you once again delve into... The Pop Culture Cosmos. Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back with another episode of the Pop Culture Cosmos. This is Gerald Glasser from Pop Culture Cosmos, Game Source, Inside Sports Fantasy Football, and the Lakers Fast Break. We truly appreciate everyone out there listening to all of our shows. And if you can, Please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Plus, if you can like, share, subscribe, follow, or do anything that you can to support us right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos, Mannequin Media, and everything that we do at popculturecosmos.com, it is sincerely appreciated. But it wouldn't be a Pop Culture Cosmos without my good friend. He's our own Josh Culture Cosmos for popculturecosmos.com. You got to check out what he's doing today at Humanity Media, popculturecosmos.com, and everywhere else you can find him, including the Super BS Games cast. And of course, his amazing book, which you can get right now. Congratulations, you suck. And that is available at Barnes and Noble and Amazon. It is my good friend. It is Josh Peterson. What's up, man? What is up? Speaking of congratulations, you suck. The, uh, first run of books is going to be over in may as i shop the title around probably at another publisher so if you guys haven't got a first edition copy yet you might want to jump on that does the digital copy count or is that like a first edition or how does that work for digital because that's what i have i think digital copies kind of don't have their collector value you know well, somebody was supposed to send me a review copy. I remember way back when. So no, I still have it in this closet over here. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay, my friend. All is good. That's good. I read it myself already, so I have a lot of great things to say about it, even if it's not a hard copy. But we are <laughs> going to have a great episode. I just want to mention first off that later in the program, our good friend, Mr. Castle PCC, Marcus De La Garza, the host of the Friday show, The PCC Multiverse. He's going to stop by. He has a chat with Daniel DeMarin, his good friend. They're going to talk about the Nintendo OLED Switch and also as well, America the Motion Picture. He was so amazed by it that he had to try to go ahead and take on that challenge himself. Plus a little bit about what Daniel is doing with the amazing podcast that he's part of, the Vast Horizon podcast. That's coming a little bit later in the program. We are going to also talk about, again, Black Widow. There will be some spoilers, just letting everybody know. Plus, we're going to be talking Fear Street, The Witcher Season 2, and What If. But 
you've got some tidbits you want to throw at people out there first. Yeah, I just I got got a little got some some quick cuts I want to uh, hit. Quick cuts. Just just walking into the booth for some quick cuts, you know. All right. So first one I want to hit here is earlier this week a copy of Legend of Zelda, a sealed copy of Legend of Zelda sold for $870,000. Chump change until earlier today when I reported mm-hmm. on the Pop Culture Cosmos that a copy of Super Mario 64 for the Nintendo 64 just dropped and sold for a million and a half, buddy. Okay, so yes, and that was the next thing I was going to hit here. It has a 9.8 rating from WADA. Let me ask you this. How do you differentiate from a 9.8 to a 10? So that's what I was going to ask, because I just went on eBay, right, and I looked up sealed copies of Super Mario 64. Granted, the first run has the red stripe on the box, right, as opposed to the second printing that has the gold or silver stripe or whatever it is. But you look at those, and there are WADA-rated games on there, but it's at like an 8.8 or an 8.7. How do you tell? Is it the condition of the box? Like, in hindsight, you know, if I were a kid and I bought a copy of Super Mario 64, I bought myself two copies because I was like, you know, one day this is going to be a collector's item. So if I bought myself two copies of Super Mario 64, put one into a drawer, never touched it, would it still hold it if I had not opened it? But if I left it in the drawer and then finally opened the drawer in 2022, no, today's it's 2021, right? Welcome to yeah, 2021. Okay. I know, I'm all over the place, man. But if I, like, say nothing happened, nothing, like, was set on top of the box, nothing, there was no damage to the box whatsoever, it was just covered in dust, would it still be, would it be a 9.8 or, or could it be a 10? Well, I don't first know of all, it has to be sealed. That's the deal breaker right there as mm-hmm. far as between exactly. a certain level on WADA and certain a certain level below. Right. I think the 9.8 to 10, you you know, somebody would have to come on the show from WADA to tell us what the minute difference there. But yeah. you're talking about something that was literally shipped by Nintendo, went to the store, literally taken out of the box of the store, hung up at a store, ready to go. And the second you bought it, you had to just go ahead and just put it, like you said, in the drawer, safekeeping, nice and tidy. It had to be something where you literally just took it from the store to that drawer, right, you were mm-hmm. talking about, and kept it in safe, almost an airtight situation there. Amazing how something like that happens. I mean, baseball card is kind of different because even back then, there were still individual cards that were sealed or that they were packaged or kept it in a nice sealed set with the video games. How many people are actually going to keep sealed video games at that point in time? I wasn't going to. I was going to open everything up. Yeah, well, no one has that hindsight, right? I think a lot of these sealed copies are people who like either ran game stores or they had purchased copies for resell or they're... They just they're, bought them and forgot. They just bought them and forgot about them. You know, my mom does that every year. She'll buy a bunch of Christmas presents and then six months later, I'll get half of those Christmas presents because she forgot she bought them. So it's such a funny thing because anyone who games, games on a budget, right? So no one ever thinks to buy two copies. But like, I'm at that point now where I'm like, well, maybe I should buy two copies. The, granted, the value of video games now, like it's, you know, you open a copy of Assassin's Creed, it immediately drops 30 bucks. You know, like you don't think about things like that. But if you look at like JRPGs, like the Ease franchise, right? Or the Atelier games, like they become collector's items immediately. You know, you you buy a copy like of Ease 9, you know, Monstrum Knocks on the Switch. And probably in about a month or two, it's going to be worth $80. And Limited beyond- run games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So they do the same thing. They put out a limited amount of games for a specific title but then again some a lot of those titles are indie games so 
they don't usually get that kind of buzz, but every once in a while, they will have one that was a hit in a digital format. And if you have a limited run hard copy, it could be somewhat valuable. That's for now, but it, you know, yeah. it's harder and harder to find games now that will be collective items. But from the past, I mean, as our friends at Retro City Games would tell you, I mean, there there's still stuff there that they get in that are extremely valuable that are worth quite a bit of money. But there are more quick cuts that you have in store oh, for us, correct? I got some more quick cuts for you. The Nintendo Switch OLED system was announced, so that happened. Um, yeah. next we talked about and, it on Friday. Yeah, Nintendo kind of had their hands full with this one. So everyone was expecting like this this pro model Switch that had 4K and all that. Nintendo didn't even like hint that something like this was going to happen. Or, you know, they hinted there would be a new Switch model, but they didn't say anything about like, hey, it's going to have up res or 4K resolution, or it's going to be able to load your games a lot faster. So they announced this OLED Switch. It's coming out in October, I think the, the release yep, date was. October 8th. Yeah, and that's really all it is. It's an upgraded battery, a new screen, and like the media. Better kickstand. Don't forget the better kickstand. The better kickstand. If you're one of those people that presses down really hard on things, the media is like losing their minds over this because everyone's all mad that this is not like the quote unquote Switch Pro. And it makes me wonder if Nintendo meant to announce this because it's coming out alongside Metroid Dread. So it makes me wonder if they were planning to release this or, you know, announce it at E3. And then with all those rumors circulating about what it was going to be like, they're like, oh, maybe because it's not what people think it is, this would diminish the excitement around Metroid Dread. This is not a situation of their making yet. You know, this is just what the media has done. And now it just makes Nintendo look bad. You know, it's kind of sad. Well, I mean, for someone out there that is going to be searching for Nintendo Switch, it may be their only option. It is $50 more expensive, a little larger screen. OLED, if everybody remembers the PlayStation Vita and how the colors popped on that. I used to have a Vita. I used to love it. But the games themselves won't be any more powerful or run faster on it. But at least to have a better battery. If you want to hear the thoughts of what Daniel and Marcus on it, they'll be talking about later in the show. But yeah, I don't see it as a big thing, especially if you have a Nintendo Switch already. But for those that are looking for one, you know, it might be the only one that's available and it's $50 more expensive. You know, again, it's not like a, a junky model. It is nice. No, no. It's a nice looking thing. It's just not what the media wanted. And I think that's well, what's not what the fans wanted neither. Yeah, exactly. Next cut. Next, I got like three more here. Okay, let's burn through them. Atari announced that they are going to be moving away from mobile games and the freeware. So they had recently announced that they're going to be splitting their company into one half is going to be handling NFTs, which no one really cared about in the first place. This NFT like blockchain business is such a sad to me. Like Sega's doing it. Like I know these things are supposed to hold value and all that, but it takes such manpower to create. You know, it makes it sad for like these gaming companies who are like, yeah, we're gonna start working on NFTs, and that's going to diminish the power going into other parts of game development and also the environment and water supply. But who cares about that, right? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, yeah, clearly, yeah, exactly. So Atari, as they announced, they're going to be moving back into premium content. So they're, you know, they just had the Atari VCS come out to lackluster reviews, but they have announced that they're going to be making new games. They're going to be developing games again. Basically, what they're saying is Atari is going to start trying to go ahead and attempt to put some games on the newer consoles outside of their own Atari VCS console. They're looking to put games back onto the Xbox One, Xbox Series X, PlayStation 4, and PlayStation 5 once again. So they are going to go ahead and get into more modern systems 
So Josh, they are taking a AAA approach to things. Interesting maneuver. I wholeheartedly support it, but does that mean we're just going to get an up-res version of Missile Command? So that's what everyone's talking about, you know? Like, I know a while back they started working on a new Asteroids game where it was like you weren't just, like, shooting asteroids, you were also mining them. Like, there's a whole narrative behind this, and then that was in development for, like, five years, and they just kind of gave up on it. So, yeah, I mean, are we going to be getting, like, 3D versions of, like, Pong and, and Missile Command? Are they going to actually put some some money into a big AAA title that can compete with the likes of like Ubisoft and EA. Atari's a weird animal. It's never going to die. Unfortunately, there's always going to be some like big guy with money and they're going to be like, oh, Atari, that's right. They made some video games way back when. And it looked it's cool always- in Blade Runner. Yeah, exactly. So there's always going to be someone around to buy Atari. You know, even if it goes out of business, someone else will pick up the pieces and try. It's just a matter of like how many times is it going to fail before it succeeds or before it just fails for good. Exactly. All right. Next quick cut is a really quick one. The Mobile Suit Gundam Hathaway is released on Netflix, and it's pretty good. The animation is very beautiful. You know, we talked about Gundam Unicorn back in the day. It had a good social commentary. Like, it talked about the wars of one generation passed down to another. And Gundam Hathaway, they're tackling big questions, saying all these wars have destroyed the Earth, and people need to, like, leave the planet to get the earth to come back but they have all these normal people and you know and they're saying things like hey they would gladly go to space but they can't afford it you know and that goes back to that whole like environmentally friendly movements where it's like yeah a lot of people would be happy to you know make sure to do their part to stop things like global warming or climate change or whatever you want to call it but a lot of people can't afford that tech, you know, like the stuff that they would need to limit their carbon footprint. So it's just an interesting social commentary, but the animation is very beautiful. The movie is really good. Check it out. It's the first part in a trilogy of new Gundam films slated to hit Netflix. So check that out when you get a chance. All right. You ready for my final quick cut? I am so ready. Someone leaked that there's a new Assassin's Creed game and Ubisoft confirms this. They didn't really say anything about it except for the fact that it is a game as a service game and it takes place across multiple time periods i believe it's called infinity assassin's creed infinity just like halo infinite so i I just want to throw a question at you will i be spending my money forever yeah well this is like you know we're going to have a platform we're just going to keep adding games onto this platform instead of like you know, making discs over and over. People who are big fans of the series, do you think this is this is going to diminish like their joy of the series? Because a lot of people I know play it because it's a single player game, right? It has all their content in one space. They could play it. They don't have to talk to other people or deal with any online aspects outside the fact that you have to always be online to save your game in that game, which is dumb. But do you think that this is going to ruin it for some people? I think they'll have a lot of popularity with it as a game service. But I think if there's enough brushback from individuals like you that want just the single player experience and don't want to be bothered with all the extra stuff, at some point they could just go the route like Call of Duty. Call of Duty has a games of service and they also have the games that come out every year. So, I yeah. mean, they've found a way to find niches in both of those environments. And I think Assassin's Creed, if necessary, they can do the same. Yeah, and I agree. But this kind of like screams that we don't have a game plan here. Like we don't have any idea where the story's going. We don't have any idea how this whole thing's going to wrap up. We don't know what we're doing. We're just like, hey, this time period would be cool. But wouldn't it also be cool if at the same time you can jump into this time period? Like it, it sounds like there's no direction for this game. And well, uh, I've told you this a long time ago is that the stories themselves, 
they were supposed to fit together in this one certain timeline and they stopped doing that. They abandoned that a long time ago. Yeah, exactly. And to me, you know, my closing thoughts here is that this is not a good time for something like this because Ubisoft has all these lawsuits going on and it's like this is just not a good time for them to like reinvent the wheel because it just makes it seem like they're not making this game what it could be because their focus is elsewhere. Uh, we'll see what happens with that. If there's enough brushback, they'll go ahead and provide both a games of service and a standalone game. But for now, it looks like Assassin's Creed Infinity will be the standard by which all Assassin's Creed games will go by coming up in the future going forward, unless there's enough brushback. So we'll see what happens there. But if you have any thoughts on Josh's quick cuts, please let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Hey, this is Chad from Ghost Toasters, and you're listening to Pop Culture Cosmos Podcast. Big on America. Hey guys, this is Jason Dutch with Dig on America Podcast, and I'm here with Big Hops. And I'm also here with Mikey Famine. Dig on America here, we explore how American history, policies, and sometimes even our pop culture created the social and political issues facing Americans today. You can check out our website, digonamerica.com. We're on every single audio podcast app there is out there, Pandora, Spotify, etc. Subscribe on YouTube. You can check us out on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash DOA podcast. Hopefully you'll listen to the show, guys. Dig on America. Well, my friend, there's still much more to talk about on today's program. And remember, on the back half of the show, we've got Marcus De La Garza coming up with his friend, Mr. Daniel DeMarin. They're going to share their thoughts on the Nintendo Switch as well. But on this part, I want to talk about Black Widow, man. The Black Widow movie came out to theaters. I gave a review on our last episode, general thoughts on it. Thought it was okay. I thought it was not super, but not bad. It was okay. I thought the experience was was decent. My daughter loved it, and that makes me happy. And I appreciate it for what it was. I think it still came years too late when it should have been released kind of felt a little bit outdated in that sense for me but again overall i thought I had a good impression of it that there were some ups and downs with it pacing issues some other things of that nature but overall the action sequences were really cool the ones that were in there i really thought that the taskmaster storyline i thought that was a nice little twist in there in regards to who that is can't say that to Josh just yet, but Josh has had some time with it already as far as the movie's concerned. And finding the Red Room, the whole thing with Drakeoff's daughter and, and you know Natasha Romanoff and that whole way they tried to tie in everything from even what Loki had explained in the original Avengers movie. I think that's the biggest flaw of the movie is that it just seems like it's out of place in 2021. Yeah, it's out of place like right now. One thing I did admire about it was the fact that they did a good job of placing the film, though, within the timeline of the MCU. I was concerned going into this thing that it was going to be just a an origin story, you know, about Black Widow, like maybe something like after her time in the Red Room and before the Avengers. Like it's going to lead up to the whole Budapest, Besh, Budapest, as they argue how you pronounce it. Scenario. And that's another thing. The Budapest thing is it's talked about, but I wanted to see her and Jeremy Renner interacting, that, replaying that. That's, you know, yeah, that's what I thought was going to happen. Like, that's what I thought this movie was. I thought it was like 
the timeline leading up to her defection to shield yeah. but it wasn't that it, this was this movie's placed right in the end of civil war after yeah. the dudes get caught you know i want to say this is before the tony stark's captain rogers i've stopped the entire events of civil war and yeah. captain america and black widow are on the run yeah yeah because captain america hasn't broken the guys out of the no he's not yet though so this and is that's like, and that's referred to in the film yeah so you know they did a nice job with placement you know like i really didn't want to watch an origin film and that's not what this is so that was really cool the action scenes are cool well, I don't have much to say about like color palettes as I usually do because yeah, I know. But the the familiar part, as far as bringing all the family together, mm-hmm. I thought some of it was hit and miss. I think that's part of the deal that I thought maybe weighted down a little bit for me. I think David Harbour's Red Guardian gets too much of the spotlight. I think he's a little bit over the top. That wasn't really needed. He's, you know what's funny about him as an actor is the fact that like he is so I don't want not extravagant, but like he's larger than life and he, yeah. i don't even think he does it on purpose i think he's casted in these characters you know whether it's hellboy or or hopper or uh you know red guardian he's casted in these roles where he, that's just what people give him those are the roles he, he people give him and he plays the roles well but they they rely too heavily on that you know like i feel like red guardian in this movie so far has been given more like i don't know focus than black widow or her sister I will say that by the end, that the best part is that they do focus on her and the sister, Florence Pugh, who does a tremendous job in the film. That, to me, is a real highlight going forward. And, and they do put a, a bigger emphasis on Natasha Romanoff herself. But it was a little bit too much Red Guardian for me, but they close it out well. They close it out strong. I think it's a, a very good ending. I want to tell everybody out there, the cut scenes, as far as the end credit scenes, if you read it in articles, what they are already, it's kind of laid out differently since the time that critics saw it. So it one hits you right after the movie ends, and then one hits you in the mid credit scene. It was kind of done differently, I guess, when the critics first saw it. So just go ahead and let you know on that one. But yeah, I just wanted to go ahead and mention that for me, it was okay movie. I, I didn't mind it. In fact, I've got it already spotted in my all-time MCU list as I rank the MCU in fact, we got to go ahead and have a podcast. I think we got to get together with all the guys and get everybody together for our rankings total of the MCU. But if you want to see my rankings of the MCU, which includes Black Widow, that's at popculturecosmos.com. In fact, it's I put it back up as a headliner right there. So you just click on it and you can see my entire list and where Black Widow sits. Nice. Well, I've talked about this. Like I, I want to go back and like, you know, do a show or a series where we watch all the Marvel films, including the ones outside of the MCU, since they're all being like tied in through this like multiverse thing. So after I do all that, then I'll be able to put my like true ranking together. Well, uh, I'd love to do that as well, man. I mean, I mean, that's something for bonus stuff. I mean, we could put out there. Maybe we should start a Patreon someday or something like that. Oh, buddy. There we go. Let's do that. That's yeah. All right. We'll have to, we'll have to go ahead and set something up for everybody out there. My final thought on Black Widow here, because I'm I got to get through the rest of it. Rachel Wise, I hope they do her justice in the end of this movie, because like so far, it feels like her character has developed backwards. Like she had this like really deep and like you really felt for her in the beginning of the movie when they were, you know, they're on the run and they're you, you find out what's going on. But then like she just kind of fe- she felt very deep in the beginning of the movie and then she felt very shallow 
throughout like the you know the middle sections of the movie it does flesh her out a little bit more it does give her a little bit of validation i will say at the end by the end of the movie okay. her accent does slip into her oh, british accent a couple the, times yeah the accent's awful but telling you like she's one actor so i th- i mean she's she's just so great she's, well, yeah she's phenomenal on screen though well you know daniel craig is mr rachel vice so not oh yeah hey that's uh that's a true power couple right that, there. yeah it's funny at the dinner table they talk about well huh, honey i've got more hit movies than you do now with black widow so there you go <laughs> as he's sitting in front of his oscar cabinet well right now he's filming knives out too yeah knives out too yeah and you know we're waiting for that james bond flick to happen so it is black widow i want to mention to everyone before we hit the break that it's been a tremendous hit at the box office in fact it has garnered over 80 million dollars the largest u.s domestic haul of the pandemic era and also as well it's gained another 80 million dollars worldwide Plus, Disney, in a very rare move, in fact, I don't think they've ever done this before, they announced how much they've made in the first weekend streaming-wise. Yes, they did. First time I've ever heard dollar amounts, not numbers as far as viewership, dollar amounts. So they announced not only the $80 million that they earned at the box office, the $80 million that they've earned worldwide at the box office. China hasn't even been introduced yet as a marketplace, so that's still yet to come. They announced that they could earn $60 million in streaming from that premium access. So a lot of people were staying home and buying Black Widow this weekend. So a total of $250 million in its first four days of release. And that's truly incredible right now in a pandemic. Well, that's what I was going to ask if those streaming numbers got looped in with the box office or the two separate entities. But that's impressive, man. Yeah, that's very impressive. We'll talk about other streaming numbers with the Tomorrow War. But yes, congratulations to Black Widow. We're looking forward to hearing your thoughts on it. Our review is right there available on last week's PCC Multiverse. But Josh is going to go ahead into more detail on next week's show, his final thoughts on Black Widow. He's going to let some time seep in on it. I know he's got some good thoughts on it coming up for us. But if you have any thoughts on Black Widow, I know TJ Johnson, Noe and Fine, they all want to talk Black Widow. And hopefully I'll be able to drop episodes with them this week. But yes, if you want to talk Black Widow or you want to share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Fear Street on Netflix for horror fans. You're our horror, I guess, I don't say expert, but you're a larger horror fan than I am. Fear Street Netflix has debuted this month with uh, a lot of offerings. Fear Street 1994. This past week, they offered Fear Street 1978. And upcoming for this week, as you hear this, is Fear Street 1666. Three different timelines, teenager slasher movies. It doesn't deviate too much from that realm as far as what it tries to accomplish. It, it, it takes a lot from the horror flicks from the past and it doesn't seem to try to go ahead and do anything beyond that it's getting okay reviews out there a lot of people are just enjoying it for what it is as far as a slasher flick i want to hear your thoughts on this novel concept of bringing fear street fear street part two and fear street part three in these three different time periods i know fear street's based on the rl stein property if it's what I think it is, and they're kind of like showing the mythology of this legend that, that seems to be present in this film, I think it's kind of cool, honestly. Like horror movies try to like cover time spans too much, 
and it ends up like there's too much that needs to be told within these like five minute clips. And so I think Fear Street, if they're doing what I think they're doing and they're they're going back and covering like all the different times that this legend has, has been a thing, I think it's a really kind of a interesting concept. You know, it's not something that's been done before, I, but I wonder if the story is going to have resolution by the time that third one comes out. Well, we'll definitely see what happens. But if you're into slasher flicks, again, they're out right now, two of the three, and the third one's coming out this week. Fear Street, part one, 1994. Fear Street Part 2, 1978. Those two are already available as we speak. And Fear Street Part 3, 1666. Three different eras, three different times for some hacking and slashing of a different type for all you horror fans out there. But we want to hear your thoughts. Is this a great deal to watch for horror fans out there on Netflix? So if they've got Netflix, should they go ahead and tune into this? I mean, we're talking about can't be fun with a not a great script or anything like that. Nothing too involving, just hacking and slashing away like every horror movie take place. So we'll see what happens with Fear Street, if this is going to be a concept that's going to work going forward for Netflix. But we want to hear your thoughts on the Fear Street concept and the back-to-back-to-back movies. Share us your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Well, coming up after the break, we're going to be talking about some good things going on with Marcus de la Garza and his good friend, Mr. Daniel DeMarin from the Vast Horizon podcast. They're going to be talking some things about Nintendo and also some stuff that I did in regards to watching America the Motion Picture and the Mitchells versus the Machines. So they're going to talk about all that stuff and more and a little bit about his podcast, the Vast Horizons podcast as well. And coming up on the back end of that is Josh and I coming back with The Witcher Season 2, What If, and Did Josh Catch the Tomorrow War? We'll hear if it's a King Arthur for us battle once again. We'll talk about that coming up on the back half of the show. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you want to see the coolest action figure collections out there, the stuff that you played with as a kid, hear from industry insiders that made the toys that really truly defined who we are, and you gotta check out season one of Action Figure Adventure. Check out Action Figure Adventure now, exclusively at Big Bad Toy Store, and you'll get 10 episodes of awesome action figure fun. I guarantee if you grew up playing toys, you will love Action Figure Adventure. It's your host, Castle PCC. We're running things a little bit differently this week. We got with us one of my good friends, Daniel. And Daniel is from the Vast Horizon podcast. It is a sci-fi drama podcast. His character's name is Sinan. He's going to be joining us to discuss the Nintendo Switch OLED model. So with that, I do want to say, Daniel, how are you doing today, man? Doing great, bud. I mean, uh, it's a beautiful day. A lot of change happening. I recently was offered a lead role in the next season for this podcast, so that's kind of awesome. So feeling uh, pretty uh, high up there right now, sir. Nice, man. Can you give us a little bit about your character, a little bit about the podcast a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So um, Vast Horizon is is a space sci-fi drama. There's a lot of intrigue. I play characters. His name is Sanan. He's a alien race, the Trenin. They got some cool, um, really cool atmosphere. It has a bit of the Expanse feel in there. I won't lie. There's like a bit of that cool. in there. Yeah, yeah. My character's a, a prisoner, like 
listen, I don't want to go into that. We have other things to talk about. <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel like we just got a, a quick snippet and I yeah, need to yeah. go get caught up because Absolutely. if you're on season three, I've got some content to go through. By yeah, now. yeah. I've been doing it. Yeah, exactly. So I would say definitely um, check it out. Vast Horizon. It's literally vasthorizon.com. If you just put it in Google, you can find it. Pretty cool. I would definitely check it out. I believe it's also uh, they have it on Himalaya as a podcast on there. So check it out if you get a chance. Nice. Yeah, that is vasthorizonpodcast.com. And with us this week is Daniel to talk to us about the Nintendo Switch OLED model. And then we're going to give a little bit of a spicy take on the backside. And I think it's coming mostly from me about America, the motion picture. We talked about this last week on the podcast with Gerald. You know, I was really shocked last week when he said that he did Mitchell's versus the machines followed by America, the motion picture. I really don't know how you can reconcile both of those animation styles and both of those storylines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, and the art direction is like very different. I mean, I really liked the art book style of Mitchell uh, versus the machines. That was actually really cool. It felt like a love letter to like art college. I mean, I, I actually went to art college <laughs> as a computer animator. So it definitely had that moment of like, hmm. This feels like a buddy's like art book that he would make, you know, sketchbooks filled with like all their stuff. It was really cool what they did with that film. Uh, America, the motion picture is Lord sorry, Miller. Yeah. yeah um, same, same directorial team. So, I mean, dude, like it was just wild to think that they went, uh, that Gerald watched them back to back, number one, but number two, that both of those movies are made by the same team. Uh, and then, you know, lastly, Channing Tatum, Gerald said, told us last week on the podcast that this man yells in every scene. He was not joking. I don't know how you do a voiceover where you just walk into the booth and you just yell for six hours straight and come out and be able to do six more hours the next day. That's a, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot. I mean, coming from a person that, you know, I only do a couple hours anytime I have, uh, you know, a few lines and it's that, that definitely leaves me a little bit, uh, rough, in the gills. So yeah, I can't imagine having to scream for six hours every day for like, he's a main character, right? It's Channing Tatum. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, okay, it's, but... it's, he's the man, you know, wow. like, wow. With that, let's go ahead and jump over to the switch story though, dude. Nintendo switch is in a refresh here. I think we were all hoping for was the Nintendo switch pro. And what we got was the Nintendo switch OLED. You're going to have the richer blacks and you're going to have the beautiful colors, but I mean, not much is changing out of here. We've got the same CPU. We've got the same RAM. We've got a larger storage here, larger base storage. It's 32 versus 64 gigabytes, 64 gigabytes on the OLED version. The weight's just a little bit heavier because you do have a larger screen. It's a 7-inch screen versus a 6.2-inch screen. So, I mean, there is a little bit of a difference there. And to me, what I saw out of the new OLED model was the fact that the new OLED model will allow you to hardwire your Switch which, I mean, hasn't been an issue to date, really, right? You can get a USB-C to Ethernet adapter. We've used them plenty at work. You and I have. Yes, 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 yes. But I think the average consumer may not always know about it, but I, I, it has been possible to play hardwired with your Switch. But I think the upgraded Cradle, which will be for sale on its own, I think that's the true upgrade right there, right? Yeah. I'm dying to get your take on it here, Dan. But, I mean, like, outside of the Cradle, I don't know what I, I see in this one, so yeah. I'm interested to see what you see right okay so i mean like as a non-switch owner i guess this could be the way to get me in because it strikes me as is what the switch was always supposed to be i feel like they held back like gpu wise and and, and all the ways that this is different they held back earlier to save the price point when they were first releasing the switch right i feel like there's a yeah. big portion of this is actually how the switch was supposed to be 
right? So I suppose it's something that I would probably be interested in because it's the freshest version of the Switch and I don't own one. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, well, here, let me ask you this question. Yeah. We, we didn't get any game announcements alongside this. Yeah. Right. Does that color your choice here at all? I mean, because it, it does for me. If I was a non-Switch yeah. owner like yourself, I, and I'm not, I, I'll tell everyone out there, I do have a Switch. I play a lot of Overcooked. Great game right. if you haven't great, played. Great Overcooked game. 2, yes. that is. Yeah. Well, um, I haven't played 2 yet. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm coming but, over. Uh, yeah, you got to come over and play some yeah. Overcooked 2. Other than that, Breath of the Wild, love it. Yes. Mario Party, Mario Kart, yeah. anything you can do with the Mario universe, I love. Right. But there's nothing here that's really driving me yet. And I know that one of our good friends has a big point of contention with this. Can you speak to that at all? We're talking about Justin, right? Yeah, we're talking about our friend Justin. He was supposed to be on tonight, full disclosure, yes, but yeah. he ended up having some audio issues. Justin is, uh, between the three of us, the big Nintendo fan person. So Justin's disappointment was Metroid Prime 4, correct? Yes. I think he uh, feels like they potentially have delayed Metroid Prime 4 for this Switch release. Potentially, maybe. I mean, they recently just showed off Metroid Dread. It looks cool, but everyone's after and waiting for Metroid Prime 4. It's like that has been that's cooking the content for... people watch. Yeah, yeah that's want, right. That's yeah. that's like the hot ticket item that has not been provided yet, right? Like the Switch, I don't believe the Switch has had a Metroid game of that magnitude yet, has it? Not to the best of my knowledge. Right. They've covered, you know, Mario, they've covered Legend of Zelda. The next big thing they got to cover that's one of their like beloved IPs is Metroid. It I mean, is. It's yeah. really such a powerful franchise, and I feel like a big portion of them holding back on Metroid Prime 4 is because they want it to be perfect. And maybe it is set for this new OLED version of the Switch, but who knows? Who knows? Let's go ahead and take a step forward, though. I do want to quickly talk about my experience with America the Motion Picture last week on the podcast, and I didn't fill you in on this one, so you're going to get a little bit of firsthand reaction from you as well. One of my best friends, Kevin Monquist, was in town. We watched America the Motion Picture together. He's a history professor. And it was really, really interesting. I, I thought it was going to be a terrible experience where the man just talked about historical inaccuracies for an hour and 45 minutes. And that's not what I got. He sat back. You know, he laughed and maybe laughed hard enough to get a little tear in the corner of his eye or something. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. it was interesting. Gerald made this stand about, about Channing Tatum just yells throughout the entire movie. He did. He really did. I do want to say, though, they did miss a few times for me. You know, Gerald talked about how there are a few times jokes just continued to go on and on and right. on. You know, it was one of those things that as you watch it, you're like laughing, you're laughing and eventually like, all right, now apparently we're still doing this because people right. didn't understand the joke the first six times. So wow, let's yeah. keep going with it. But I mean, All-Star cast, that's the big thing I do want to say is All-Star cast really knocked it out of the park. You've got Channing Tatum, you've got Bobby Moynihan, you've got... Simon Pegg, you've got Judy Greer, Killer Mike. I feel like you name it, they were in this movie. I do want to say, if you get a chance to go see it, please, please, please watch it. I'd love to hear your take. You can get at me at Castle with a K, K-A-S-T-L-E-P-C-C on Instagram and Twitter. Dan, any chance you're going to go ahead and stop and watch this movie? Yeah, actually. As the animator in you, does, it, yeah. does the animation style appeal to you? I mean, all animation styles appeal to me and maybe not my favorite style. I mean, I've seen a bit of clips from it because it is on Netflix at the moment and I'm interested. I will admit the being told that some jokes just run long is a, is like maybe but I mean, hesitant. But I mean, like when I say run long, it's like, yeah. all right, we've done this for 15 seconds. Like that was long. Enough. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like it's not so bad that you're going to sit there and be like, oh, fuck. 
this is like three, sure. three hours in, like I'm still making the same joke. No, it's like it's like a 15 second in, inconvenience. And you're like, wow, I got that the first time. I didn't need it the six other times. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like I'm I'm willing to sit down and like consume it for sure because it's it looks interesting. Me, I was gonna say, believe me, they they have no problems picking apart our own problems as, a, as like a society and a nation right now. Okay, um, very tongue in cheek, but at times it feels like Matt. North yeah, yeah, South Park. Yeah, yeah, like the Matt that's Park that's Richmond. yeah, 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 yeah. Trey Parker, Matt Stone. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, there. <laughs> <laughs> but it feels like that. You know, like at times it's like, wow, did were they a part of this? Like the, as yeah. quickly as they turn things around uh, with the quality of commentary that they give, like it, it I don't know. It, it had its moments where it's like, ooh, that's a zinger that really hurts. And yeah, uh, at times it's, ooh, we could have stopped that one about five seconds. <laughs> that's that's kind of the vibe that I was getting from looking at the teaser stuff. It reminded me about like the South Park Team America stuff, right? It yeah, came across exactly. very. Yeah, yeah. I, I felt the felt it very much out of the gate. So yeah, that is what has my intrigue up because it's obviously built on satire, right? So it's going to be of the times but in the past i right it's yeah, like yeah. it's like the founding of america quote unquote right it's the retelling so, of the founding of america okay, right? okay yeah. yeah 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 so and the thing is with, like that, with liberal interpretation on you know the founding details you know george washington <laughs> and abraham lincoln are best friends in this movie right so. right because that makes all sorts of sense in terms yeah. of historical that, accuracy yeah. yeah that being said i mean great movie go watch it i do want to point out the fact that gerald is at the black widow viewing a screening of that so really looking forward to that dan and, and i are actually gonna have our chance to go watch this movie potentially together this weekend if not i think you're going out to go watch it on your own i'll be doing the same this is going to be a good one I, I know that we've talked about it ad nauseum when it comes to discussing delays on this podcast but on our way out dan any thoughts on black widow Oh, okay. I mean, it looks of quality production. It looks exciting. It looks exactly what I would expect out of the Marvel universe. Here's the thing. I suppose I'm, I personally am a little burnt out on like the constant. Ooh, hot yeah, take of the night here. Let's go. Of... Tell me you're burnt out on Marvel. Let's <laughs> yeah, go, dude, man. It's a bit, this it's is a... not a take we have on this podcast very often. <laughs> That's why I was a little hesitant to say it. Cause, cause it's like, you know, I understand. I get I get it. Okay. You know, yeah. I understand the hype of it. I love the universe that they've created and how they've weaved it all together. It's just fatigue in my estimation for myself is is that it's like I can only see the world be saved so many times by multiple heroes. You know it's what like, I mean? Like, it's like when you go on like a three hour like World War II movie marathon or something and you get out on the yeah, other side yeah. and you're like, I think I've got a little bit of battle fatigue. I, like, yeah, yeah. You know, like I can't do it anymore. But instead, we've had three years worth of Marvel content thrown down our throats, you know, over the yeah. last 12 years. So I don't fault you for your point of view. Don't think that we're going to exclude you here on the Pop Culture Cosmos <laughs> podcast. But I do want to say that you are the minority of, of viewpoints that well, yeah, uh, that yeah. probably exist, at least when it comes to people that listen to this podcast. Sure. I do say that I'm with you, though, at times. It feels yeah. like there have been times where we've been, you know, it's been shoved down our throats. And Gerald disagrees with me on this one, but WandaVision was really refreshing for me. I think Loki's been outstanding. If you get a chance, Dan, you should really watch that one. And Falcon the Winter Soldier, outstanding as well. So those three little TV shows, and you and I have discussed this a few times, right? Like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it just feels like the TV shows have had to up their quality, period, because of streaming. But yeah. to really sell the franchises moving forward, you had to up those quality. Yeah, and I, and I feel like they're better equipped and better served as a series like that, right? Like, I prefer the episodic nature of the Marvel world 
there's only so much time you have in a movie, right? With a series, you can take your time to really develop moments that you're trying to really sell. It's definitely a craft to do it in a movie, but like you can now see what that craft costs. It's generally speaking, two hours and 45 minutes to three plus, right? Yep. They ask a lot of time out of you. Not saying that series don't either but no but when you you cut that content up into 45 minute chunks it makes it a little bit easier you know i I don't know if you sat down and watched snyder cut of justice league but i mean like that had chapters and while i sat down and watched the whole thing one go i know a lot of people that sat down and watched the chapters because i just couldn't commit to three or three hours and 20 minutes whatever it was of content and i don't blame them yeah so it's a lot to ask all right. Well, uh, Dan, on our way out here, any last thoughts from you personally? Do you have anything you want to shout out? The vast horizon podcast.com. Yeah. yeah. Anything yeah, else I mean, on the way out? No, honestly, just check out vast horizon. That's like really it. I've really enjoyed working on it and I would like to see more people, you know, check it out. It's really fun. I, I enjoy being on it and, and I think people enjoyed listening to it. Well, with that, this is castle PCC and Gerald, we look forward to chatting with you next week. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you need your video game fix, be sure to check out Retro City Games. Located in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada, Retro City Games has the cure for all your video game vices. Retro games and games for current consoles, Nintendo, Sega, PlayStation, Xbox, and more. Retro City Games has all the staples from any library and some highly collectible offerings too. So pick up a few games today at Retro City Games in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada. Retro City Games is your video game metropolis. And we're back with the show's Pop Culture Cosmos. Want to thank so much again, Marcus De La Garza and his good friend Daniel DeMaron from the Vast Horizon Podcast for going ahead and sharing their thoughts on the Nintendo OLED and all the good stuff that they've caught on Netflix. But my friend, before we head on out... You caught the Tomorrow War. Yes, you did. You heard my thoughts on it the other day. I want to hear yours on Chris Pratt's The Tomorrow War, which, again, is, the as they're saying, the number one streaming movie in the world and also being already talked about as having a sequel on the way. So it was up and down for me. You know, like I... Well, for me, it's all down, but go ahead. Well, like, it, it took me a while to figure out, like where it was going and what was happening at first i was like yeah this is like i don't know this feels like it's trying to be like independence day and men in black there's obviously a lot of influence taken from john carpenter's the thing and 90s action pictures a lot of alien stuff going on in there the action scenes were entertaining you know but in the the way that the have just like the average joe in there trying to fight like that was entertaining is an interesting concept but the movie kind of fell flat for me about halfway through you know you get to the point you find out it's his daughter and like the dynamic between them was very stale the movie like you said that was very stale and just very written very poorly it was written very very poorly i thought it was just god awful and then chris pratt looks depressed the entire movie yeah i would give it like a three you know it's not great it's not good. Three out of ten for me too. It, it's not in the negatives though, you know. But I think what really irritated not the negatives. Me, Wait, a three out of what? Five stars? Three out of I, well, I was giving a three out of ten. Yeah, know? three out of ten. That is a negative. Yeah, but it's not like a negative ten, you know. <laughs> so what really irritated me was you get to the end of the movie, right? And they show they're in the snow. Like that had a lot of like a very like Lovecraftian feel to it. You know, the creatures buried in the snow. 
But, you know, um, they're, why didn't they get the whole United Nations in on this and get all the forces there? But that, you know, I, God forbid you would want to go ahead and, yeah. and have the good of all. But no, they said they would talk too much and that would delay it. That was such a lazy filmmaking right there. But, yeah. you know, they get to the ship, they find the ship and they find like the whole cargo of these white spikes. And then they show like the creatures like smuggling them, you know, and that's almost exactly taken out of the the pages of Prometheus. You know, we find out that the the engineers were about to try to wipe out humanity with their cargo. They open that whole box and then they don't elaborate on that. Like that was the most interesting part of the movie that is that someone was carrying these things around to wipe out a species. That was the most exciting part of that movie because I'm like, oh, that's cool. Maybe it's going to like get better as the film goes on because there's still like 45 minutes left and no, nothing seems to happen in there. They don't, they just kind of like, oh, well, was this meant for planet Earth? We don't know, but we're going to go and stab needles into these things. And then instead of like putting one in the queen, like a smart person would do, we're just or making sure you have enough people there that mm -hmm. have all the, the vials and have all the syringes ready in each and every one of them to do them all simultaneously. But that would require brain power and thought. Yeah. The queen gave Chris Pratt a run for his money in the future, so he's kind of a moron for not like attacking the one in the present. And then, uh, speaking of just the attacking of the thing, was it me the worst special effects you've seen in some time? The scene where they're fighting at the last minute to save his dad, he actually physically jumps onto the beast, and in order to do so, the CGI had to actually shrink. And they actually had to enlarge the size of Chris Pratt in order to go ahead and make it look like he was jumping on the actual top of the beast. Yeah, this was on top class CGI, especially when Chris Pratt literally throws a snowmobile at the queen. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's um, Okay, I always talk about dumb popcorn entertainment, you know, with Fast and Furious whatnot, but at least that's fun in a way. Yeah. This was just it's frustrating. A chore. Yeah, it's a chore. Uh, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Okay, we talked about the lazy writing and the lazy filmmaking. So in order to save the world, I have to have these certain individuals that I'm supposed to have with me in order to get the job done. Oh, my best friend here happens to go ahead and fill that one role. Oh, in order to save the world, I need somebody that lives out in Texas. Hey, that's Josh. Hey, I, oh, I need someone else to, I, that I know that lives in Florida that maybe can help me. That Oh, that's Marcus. Convenient. All this convenient stuff that happened in the movie is just, like you said, lazy filmmaking. Yeah, yeah. And there's like, there's so many, what's frustrating about it is that they had some opportunities to be good, but then they just kind of like, we're like, nah, we're just going to let this crash. Yep. It is like a car wreck. It's really bad. Uh, I'm glad to see that we think alike, and this is not a King Arthur situation for us. But if you have any thoughts out there on the Tomorrow War, because a lot of people out there are giving it a passable review and a positive review. So we'd love to hear it. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. I know my wife saw it yesterday, and she thought it was okay. You know, I know Josh loves to go ahead and rail against critic culture, but unfortunately, this time, he has to agree with the critic culture and that this movie is just bad. But hey... It's obviously done well enough with the $200 million price tag that it warrants a sequel because mm -hmm. they're already talking about doing one already. So I guess people are liking it out there. So yeah, share us your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Well, before we head on out, my friend, a couple of quick things. Toss a coin to The Witcher because The Witcher Season 2, that dropped last week at WitcherCon along with the announcement that a Witcher anime is coming to Netflix. 
And we talked about Netflix. We weren't sure about what was going on with Netflix, about maybe letting some of these other streaming networks get some pub. But you know what? Since that conversation, Netflix has done a lot to gain more interest with a lot of great stuff that they have now. And that's on the way, including The Witcher Season 2. That trailer dropped, and it's upcoming this fall. So I want to hear your thoughts on The Witcher Season 2 and the trailer that just dropped. I'm excited for this season. The trailer looks good. The last season did kind of an interesting thing, like what they did with the book, right? It's it's a lot of stories being told. You know, you're kind of backtracking a lot and getting the different like chapters from the first Witcher book. The second Witcher book is like that too. It's a lot of stories. And then, you know, once you get into the Witcher season three, that's when it's like you're in present time, you're just moving forward. So how much of this second season is going to be backtracking? It's hard to tell from the trailer series with him. You know, that was kind of the big story arc in the first season. So are they going to be moving forward or are they going to be telling stories about the past again, trying to cover that content of that second book? I'm excited either way. Each season covers a different book in the series. So definitely looking forward to seeing what they have to offer with The Witcher. It's been a big hit for Henry Cavill, big hit for Netflix. It's become one of their cornerstone franchises. In fact, they're doing a prequel. I think The Witcher Blood Origin, I think, is coming up. Yeah, I noticed Michelle Yeoh, one of my favorite actresses that are out there, she signed up with this. So I'm looking forward to seeing what The Witcher Blood Origin will do one day when they go ahead and start. I think they're starting to film that pretty soon. So looking forward to seeing what happens there. But The Witcher Season 2, obviously the big ticket has become one of Netflix's cornerstone franchises. So I'm looking forward to seeing what happens there with The Witcher Season 2 coming up on Netflix. Any last thoughts on The Witcher? I'm stoked to see what's going on. You know, on another episode, we'll hit the whole thing with CD Projekt Red and what they're working on and stuff. But, you know, we don't know when Stranger Things is coming back. So they haven't really announced a lot of, like, big shows, you know, the big Netflix tentpoles coming out this fall. So it's good to know that we're going to have something to tune into. And then there's an anime coming out, correct, based in The Witcher series? Yeah, I think it's something about... The Witcher Nightmare of the Wolf. Yeah, so a lot of a lot of good stuff coming out here. So we'll see how it does. The Witcher Nightmare of the Wolf debuts on August 23rd on Netflix. And you've also got, again, The Witcher Blood Origins. That's going to probably debut sometime in 2022. And you have in December. Yeah. December 17th, The Witcher Season 2 appears on Netflix. So definitely looking forward to The Witcher Season 2 on December 17th. Toss a coin to your Witcher. But before we head on out, my friend, what if? What if trailer dropped for Marvel's next series as we finish Loki this week? Been a different series so far. So enjoyed my time with Loki. But the What If series drops next month, August 11th, I think, if my memory serves. That drops next month on Disney+. Plus. But they showed a really extensive trailer for it this past week. I had a lot of footage from the late Chadwick Boseman, which I know garnered a lot of tears for everybody out there. It had a lot of characters, some of which are the actual voices of some of the MCU stalwarts, some of which are not. I was kind of disappointed that Robert Downey Jr. is not... One of the voices involved is very disappointed by that. But your thoughts on the What If trailer that just came out and your hopes for the series coming up in August. So my thoughts on the trailer, 
it looks cool you know like they've done a lot of comic books like this but i'm not like particularly interested in it you know i hope that doesn't sound like blasphemous but you know i don't like you know and i've talked about this before i don't like side stories and i don't like prologues or whatever like i just i don't know it just doesn't seem i'm, I'm sure it's going to be interesting and i'm sure i'll watch it at some point but it's just i'm not excited about it is that blasphemous of me to say no, and I think you're going to be a lot like other people out there. It's, because it's not a must-watch unless Marvel makes it a must-watch. To me, it doesn't seem like it's going to be a must-watch because of the fact that these are going to be all stories that, let's say, what if, hence the title, what if this had happened? What if this had happened along the MCU timeline? What if this had happened along the MCU yeah. timeline? So it's nothing that's going to stick. So I don't know if it's going to be required or must-watch for anyone out there and if it's not and people are just going to go like well why do i need to watch it i mean it's just going to be for hardcore mcu fans that are out there i mean i'm going to probably watch it i'm not in love with the art style personally i'm not in love with the animation style myself i just don't think it matches well with the voice work that's being done but otherwise like i said i i think i could probably get into it but i probably won't be able to say you know it's the greatest thing in the world because again it's not relating to directly what's going on in the mcu yeah i guess my big thing that's pushing me away from it is one you know exactly what you said but two it's like the comic books right they're introducing these like what could possibly be really cool story arcs and then you're never going to hear about it again like they're not going to be elaborating on you know, one of them is like, what if Captain America's lady friend, I forget what her name was. Agent Carter? Agent Carter, yeah. They show this on the trailers, right, where she becomes She's Captain, like, Britain. Captain Britain. Yeah, and like that could be something really cool, but then you're not going to get any more of that story. So I kind of feel like it's a waste of time, you know, and I think that's why I'm not so excited about it. Same thing, like, I think a lot of people are talking about the Bad Batch. I mean, the Bad Batch doesn't seem like it's required viewing. It's just there if you want it or you have some extra time to go ahead and check it out. Mm -hmm. I think for a lot of people, that's going to be for what if as well. If you check out the scenes or what's coming up, Black Widow movie, and you see everything that's going on there, that's required viewing for anyone wanting to stay up on the MCU. If you mm -hmm. want to catch the Hawkeye series or She-Hulk or Ms. Marvel or anything that's coming up there, that's required viewing for anybody wanting to go ahead and check out what's going on in the MCU. What if... Uh, unless they actually directly tell you it's going to have something that directly relates to the MCU, mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are going to go ahead and tune it out. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. What are your thoughts out there on what if? What if you told us your thoughts on what if coming out next month, August 11th, to Disney Plus? Please share us your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Well, my friend, it's been a great episode. We talked a lot of great things. You had your quick cuts all over the place. You had a lot of stuff to talk about, including Black Widow. Once again, scoring $250 million in its first few days. Great success. A lot to talk about there. But any last thoughts on the way out? No, I think we covered everything I wanted to talk about. I got all my quick cuts in. Mr. Quick Cut himself. So... Truly appreciate you stopping by, catching us here on the Pop Culture Cosmos. Tune in on Friday's show where we'll be talking Loki Episode 6. We'll be talking some Space Jam coming up for LeBron James and so much more. So stay tuned with us on Friday's show, the PCC Multiverse. 
whole bunch of other stuff coming up this week, including some great interviews for the Lakers Fast Break, TJ Johnson, award-winning author Lee Montville on his book, Tall Men, Short Shorts. You want to go ahead and check out that on Lakers Fast Break. Here on the Pop Culture Cosmos, you're going to see great interviews from TJ Johnson. Hopefully, I can get him on Black Widow. I can also talk about Noah Ian Fine, fresh from Disneyland, his thoughts on Black Widow as well, and so much more coming up here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the Pop Culture Cosmos. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great. Shout out to all the scientists who worked tirelessly to bring a COVID-19 vaccine into reality. <laughs> Let's face it, creating something of this magnitude is a miracle worthy of Dr. McCoy himself. And now, Dr. Geek needs you to do your part. Remember, each shot is one small step back to normal, one giant leap to putting the pandemic behind us. We can do this. For more information, visit vaccines.gov to find your nearest provider. Of the myriad pop culture podcasts, there is one that blends in with them all. Flying under the radar, nagging at you at a subconscious level. Nerd Bliss, where four hosts from the Deep South and anyone that can get to appear for store brand coffee and corn nuts talk about science fiction, pop culture, current affairs, and more. You can find us at nerdblisspodcast.com or on the ESO network. Nerd Bliss. It's one word. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the T Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com. Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.